0: As all those facades fall down, they kind of revert to childhood rhythms again.
1: Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome back to No Script, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I'm Jacob Mann Christensen.
0: And I am Jackson Nikolai. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for tuning back in.
1: We're excited to have you. We're excited, and uh, I don't know. Maybe excited's not the right word. I, I committed to it, and then I backed off. It, because <laughs> it, we're nearing the end of the season is where I wanted to go with that. And then it seemed like right. saying we're excited for the end of the season might not be the path that we want to take, the, the <laughs> face that we put want to put on for our public about sure, the sure. season ending. We're deeply saddened, but excited saddened. by the prospect of what's to come
0: as Absolutely. one season
1: ends and another begins.
0: Yeah, it's a new beginning, a starting over. I, I forget which character in something that I read recently said, I love beginnings. I just love them so much. And that's what's coming. But first, we got to wrap it up. And we are wrapping it up in style with a couple of great plays. We got two more left for this season. And we're talking about a uh, uh, a return author for us, right? A return playwright for us on the podcast.
1: Yeah, definitely. Wender what w- Wender. <laughs> I'd love to just commit to that for the whole play and then see what people say if I called her Wender Wasserstein. (laughs) For the whole thing. It, that'd be awesome. No, Wendy Wasserstein and her play, The Sisters Rosenzweig, is the script that we are talking about today. We have talked about Miss Wasserstein uh, three times. Uh, we did the American, An American Daughter, which is a great script, one of my favorites of her plays. And then our special guest a few seasons ago, uh, Professor Karen Barker, and I talked about the Heidi Chronicles, which is her most famous script, the one that won the Pulitzer Prize. Today, we We are talking about The Sisters Rosenzweig, which is a Tony Award nominee for Best Play. Uh, Several Drama Desk nominations, Outer Critics Circle stuff. So really, really good play. Really heartwarming. Lots of pain and humor in the same complicated family. Really looking forward to talking about it.
0: Yes, indeed. Uh, Before we do, though, I do just want to take just a second and thank everyone who has headed over to patreon.com slash no script, the podcast for becoming patrons over there. Thank you so much for supporting the show. Those of you who are longtime listeners know that we love doing this show. It's a labor of love for us. We love having these conversations with each other and with all of you out there on Internet land, especially now that Internet land is a much more traveled land in general. (laughs) But of course, you uh, uh, know that this show is, alas, not a free endeavor for us. There are some fees associated with hosting podcasts and picking up plays on the regular every week that we can't find in our now-closed public libraries. So uh, if you are looking for a way to help support the No Script community, head on over to patreon.com slash noscriptpodcast. Over there, we have a couple of different tiers of membership at uh, At just the $1 level is the, the lowest tier. And with that, you get access to patron-only posts, which I hope all of you patrons have been enjoying over there on Patreon. And uh, at that $1 a month level, you're helping out the show enormously. That's twelve dollars over the course of a year, and uh, uh, Jacob is fond of saying at the at the uh, low level of twelve dollars, he knows a number of people who would just give him twelve dollars out of out of the kindness of their hearts. So, if you're getting value out of NoScript, or if you just want to be a part of being sure that the show keeps running, head on over to Patreon.com/slash NoScriptPodcast, and we will see you over there.
1: Thank you all so much for your support and. If you're a supporter, hopefully you sort of have learned the rhythms of no script. So as a season comes to an end and another one comes to a beginning here, you'll know that uh, we, we had two more episodes left this season, and then we'll take a break as we do. That's one of those rhythms. Uh, we'll take about a month break. We'll be back with season five in early July. A forewarning, though, some things are changing in season five. Some things are yeah. staying the same. Some things that we know and love will remain, and some things are going to be new and different. So be, be on the lookout for that. Season five, early
0: July. Yeah, there'll be rumblings and shakings. Get excited.
1: <laughs> and now,
0: back to the script. Back to the script. Here we go.
1: So the sisters Rosensweig opens in '92. An early version of the script opens in '92 at the Seattle Rep. Then it premieres at the Lincoln the- uh, Lincoln Center Theater in '90 in October of '92. Runs all the way through February. Um, Dan Sullivan was the pre- pre- director of that show. He he's a really popular director, especially in that time period. Does a lot of new work then. Plays on Broadway from '93 to '94. That's the performance that gets nominated for Tony Awards and such. In that original production at the Lincoln Center Theater, uh, a very young Frances McDormand played Fenny. Uh Our our copies of the script have some great pictures of her when she was young and uh, younger in the '90s, and uh, she's she looks very different. And she did, you know, she got the Oscar award for her her movie a couple of years ago, and so. Uh, Sweeping career she's had, from the Sisters Rosenzweig to, I think it was three, was it three billboards that she won the
0: Oscar for? Yeah, I think so. That that was a couple years ago, yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, Yeah.
0: Premieres in London
1: in 94, the Sisters Rosenzweig does. It is revived the Old Globe in San Diego in 2006. In 2007, the Lincoln Center Theater takes a number of the original cast and then some new actors in different parts and does a reading of it for their fundraiser, also sort of in honor of Wendy Wasserstina, who of course died in the early 2000s. Uh, that apparently was a really popular thing. The Sisters Rosenzweig has had a regional theater life outside of that. Places like the Church Hill Theater in Maryland, the South Coast Repertory Theater, both of them have done recent productions of the script. So, uh, it's got a life. It it is a play that is kind of of the 90s, so... uh, it's not as you know. It doesn't have the kind of life that some other scripts do, uh, even some other of Wendy Wasserstein's scripts. But uh, it it's been it's around. You know, South Coast Rep. That was a 2018 production. So still doing the rounds. Still a really really great script. Great story.
0: Yeah, and just to uh, jump jump on board there, we like to synopsize just a little bit before we jump to the big themes of this play. Um, the uh, the play itself focuses on the three sisters Rosenzweig. Um, there they are: Sarah, Fanny and gorgeous. the, those are the and three if you st-
1: feel like those names got weirder in order,
0: <laughs> you're right. <laughs> you're right on. And um, that,
1: that list of names is not uh, by age; it's by weirdness of names. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, it's by character introduction, of
0: course. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, <laughs> and 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 we'll and and maybe character weight as well. I guess we'll talk about that as we as we go through the script. Um, but it centers on these three sisters and their lives as they are now. They are all uh, in a mixture of their forties and fifties, I believe, if I'm if I'm reading the the context clues correctly throughout this play. Um, yeah, quite an age gap uh,
1: between the sisters. We know that Sarah is fifty four, and that Fenny, the youngest of the sisters Rosenzweig, is forty. So that's a fourteen year age gap between a family of we think only three. I don't think we have any indication that there are other siblings we haven't met so for a family that just had three kids that's a that's a large gap and it's also kind of a gap for sisters who are so close you know i mean sarah would have been a teenager when fenny was born
0: yeah. Yep. And, and, and there is some of that kind of almost a very, at least very older sister nature around Sarah and the other siblings relationships with, with her. Um, a, a lot of this play is the unpacking of their interactions with each other. Um, this is a family that starts in, I believe Newport, Connecticut um, is, is the, the, where they are born and where they're from. That's where gorgeous still lives. Um, but the play takes place in London where Sarah lives with her daughter Tess. Um, Sarah is the each each of these characters have just like very very uh, uh, very de- defined jobs, <laughs> I guess is the way I'm going to say that. Um, Sarah is the the CEO of a of a large bank, a large Chinese bank, um, and and handles all their business in London. Fanny is a I believe a world renowned reporter. She's won awards for something. She's she kind of goes to the the areas of conflict and writes stories about them. So she's always traveling and she's uh, uh yeah, moving around quite a bit and then travel gorgeous-
1: journalist and she's beginning now or or has been for a while to do sort of puff pieces like rather you know she was she apparently got famous for a book on women in the afghan world sort of a hard-hitting journalistic expose and now she's writing like bombay by night
0: right and lots
1: of people feel like she's sort of sold out By transitioning to more—today we would sort of call it travel blogging because that's more popular than travel journalism nowadays. Right. Just sort of writing these, uh, you know, where to stay and get your best spa treatment in all the best cities of the world. That's not how her career began, but that's where she is now.
0: Right, right. Yeah, definitely kind of tra- traveling around the world and telling folks about it. And then you've got uh, Gorgeous, uh, who is, uh, I think what we would call a life coach right now. but um, <laughs> She's <laughs> but a
1: radio personality. In,
0: yeah, exactly. In, in the 90s, she's a radio personality, Dr. Gorgeous bomb, Um And uh, she, uh, yeah, she helps people, <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and is kind of an influencer, uh, that, that kind of mode, she, she arrives and, and tries to set up meetings with a lot of people. The arriving is one of the big deals, the, the, uh, inciting incident of this play is it's Sarah's birthday, and, uh, we, we find out that there has been some, uh, life events in, in her world, and she, uh, has not been able to see her family for a while, so she invites her whole family over, uh, for, for, for a, a birthday meal. Now, into the world of these three sisters, there's a number of other characters as well. <laughs> there is Tess, who is uh, Sarah's daughter, who I briefly mentioned. There's Tess's boyfriend, Tom. Um, both of them are kind of young revolutionaries. This, the play takes place the the day the Soviet Union falls um, in, in Lithuania, so um, it's right around that that uh, breaking of the wall time of Europe. Um, there's al- also uh, Jeffrey, who is Fenny's Boyfriend, uh, (laughs) very committed boyfriend, but also very bisexual boyfriend. So there's some. Yeah, they do seem to be in an
1: exclusive relationship. That claim is at least made and upheld by both of them through the course of the show. And yet they don't see each other very often at all. Fenny, of course, is traveling the world. Jeffrey is a very busy theater director, world renowned theater director. So he's, as as a director, Myself, I can tell you, I'm always in rehearsal. Right, right. <laughs> and I can imagine for a world-renowned director, he's always in rehearsal. So their relationship—they don't see each other very much, yet they're also in something of an
0: exclusive relationship. Yep. mm-hmm uh, notably uh, and I think this is just a good synopsis general context thing this is the 90s uh, the AIDS epidemic is sweeping the world so tied into their characters character struggle is his struggle with the AIDS epidemic and a lot of his friends dying and and there's there's choices around that that I'm sure will yeah we'll to clarify I, to.
1: we don't think we know that we don't think he has AIDS
0: right he's no.
1: just he's is a, a member of the LGBTQ community and so knows many
0: people who have AIDS and is scared of the disease. Yep. Then there's uh, Mervyn Kant. I'm going to say, um, <laughs> and uh, he uh, he shows up for the party as well. He's a friend of Jeffreys. He's a friend of a lot of characters <laughs> in the play. Um, but uh, he specifically uh, shows up to the party as uh, from an invite from Jeffrey. And then there's also Nicholas Pym, who is a fairly well-to-do member of the upper crust of uh, British society, who is invited by Sarah to the birthday party as well. Now, if this sounds like an interesting group of characters to invite to a birthday party, you are right! And boy, does it get interesting between them all and their different goals. The main thrust of the play happens around day one, which is the birthday party itself, and uh, everyone arriving from their various places in the world and in the country to the house or the apartment where the party is being hosted. And then uh, the the party itself, a lot of great conversation around uh, each other and each other's goals and what they want. And then the day after is primarily most of act two. Um, we, we get to see the fallout of some of those conversations, the interactions between the characters, um, throughout the course of the evening, Sarah and, uh, Mervyn decide to hook up for the evening, and, uh, we, there's some, uh, fallout from that as well. Um, Tess and Tom are, uh, wanting to travel to Lithuania to be a part of the revolution that is happening there, and so there's some tension around that. All of these, these different, uh, beats are are being brought out in this pretty confined amount of time. We've talked a lot about the unity of time uh, last month in the uh, the one act play uh, mini month that we did. And uh, the unity of time is pretty strong in this one. It's a very confined amount of time. We get them for basically two days and uh, we we track the fallout of this birthday party interaction through those two days. That's the, that's the big meta picture of what's happening in the script.
1: Yeah, I think it's actually three days because we get f- I, what I would imagine is Friday night of the birthday party, the whole next day of Saturday, and then the next morning. That's right, of just Sunday the morning, morning yeah. when Merv arrives back. So it's it's a the weekend party for Sarah's birthday. As, as you mentioned, Sarah and her daughter Tess live in London, Queen's Gate, and but their family is not. British. They're not English. They were born and raised in the Bronx in New York City. This, this, these three sisters are from New York City, um, and they've all spread out over the world now. Fanny doesn't really live anywhere because she travels. She sort of has the lower flat of Sarah's house as like a home base, I think, is our sense. Um, and Gorgeous now lives in New England and is a radio personality there. But they're all originally from New York City and that kind of the the fact that none of them are there anymore that they've spread out so much across the course of their lives is part of what it builds you know the development that we see of those characters across the play just to start our conversation i want to read a quote from late in the play this sort of helps to set up some of the tensions that exist. So this is a conversation that Merv and Sarah are having the morning after they've just hooked up. Sarah is not really interested in pursuing the relationship any further. Merv is. And so they're having something of an argument. And Merv says this, Sarah, you're an American Jewish woman living in London, working for a Chinese Hong Kong bank, who's taking weekends at a Polish resort with a daughter who's running off
0: to Lithuania.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so there's a lot going on.
0: <laughs> there is, there is. And and some of what is going on is that kind of tension and anxiety around not really having a home base for a lot of these folks. A lot of them are moving around a lot. A lot of them feel untethered. Um, and, and some of what happens in the play is a retethering, a moment of reconnection between these three sisters, um and and their their relationship and all the tensions that they hold, kind of coming to the light and uh, and being processed and and I think growing by the end of the play as a result of that,
1: yeah. Wendy Wasserstein has said that in creating this play and and truly many of her scripts, she was so brilliant about this. she wanted to write. Interesting, engaging, full characters who are not damsels in distress, but women over 40 who have a life still to live. She said as a a member of the theater community, she saw too many actresses lose their careers, lose their sense of who they are because they grew older and the theater is notoriously bad about parts for women over a certain age Wendy it says 40 so she wrote three incredible women I mean these are high powered complicated incredible women one of the things she was so good at was writing these characters who have these full histories and you know I just read that quote from Merv what a character to imagine Merv is describing Sarah who's an American expat from the Bronx, a Jewish woman who's left her Jewish identity mostly behind, but some of her sisters care more about their Jewish heritage. And she is the managing director for a Hong Kong bank in London who sends her all over the world to manage loans. Her daughter wants to run off to join the Lithuanian revolution. I mean, just the the sense of even <laughs> building a character like that is incredible. and. Yeah. They're just—they're awesome, awesome people who are just—they just have a life that's so interesting and so wild. And so it's a blast to see these sisters engaged. They're so different. I mean, that was just one of the three sisters.
0: Right. And some of of the tension that is held between the sisters is all of them having these, like— things that they are accoladed for, and kind of bumping up against each other occasionally. They, they each have their own different bonds and things that they are trying to pursue, and they're not always uh, running parallel to each other. Uh, I think a lot about uh, Fenny and Gorgeous. They have a lot of, uh, they, they fight in the play quite a bit, because Gorgeous sees pretty clearly that Jeffrey um, is 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 leaning towards more of his male companions. And uh, she's trying to warn Fenny of this. And Fenny uh, has, has a lot of arguments against Gorgeous for that. She is in this relationship with Jeffrey. She's trying to make it work as best she can. And they end up fighting quite a bit around that. And that's important to both of them to be... Uh, to be right about this because Fenny is this kind of, or I'm sorry, Gorgeous is this life coach and Fenny has kind of found a bit of uh, stability in her relationship with Jeffrey, which is something that is rare for her.
1: Yeah, she actually says in the breakup scene, heartbreakingly, that um, she never feels like she's home as much as when she's with Jeffrey. So for a woman who spends her life traveling, doesn't really have a home, that's of course a really uh, important, central part of her life. So this relationship with Jeffrey is then an ending in on that Saturday daytime, and that that's really painful. She loses that sense of home. But y- you're right that these three sisters they come together for this weekend together, and they spend much of the time navigating and negotiating the differences between their lives and to some degree judging, trying to fix, trying to control the aspects of each other's lives in the way that siblings do. Late in the play, gorgeous after a a series of bad events for her, she says that she's um, spent two nights having, I'm quoting, having my own sisters tell me everything I do is wrong. And uh, you feel sort of some pity for Gorgeous because she's had a really bad day and that's where that comes from but then I also feel like well yeah but you've done that to the other sisters too these are (laughs) people who because they know each other so intimately they have strong opinions about each other's lives and so they go through what feels like these sort of old um, built in habits of working on each other's lives with Fanny, you've already mentioned that they're worried about her relationship to Jeffrey because he's not they don't think the other two sisters don't really see him as a long-term partner for Fenny. He's uh, may you know he he's known to be gay and we our sense is that this is the only woman he's ever been with and that both of the other sisters suspect that he's maybe not really heterosexual or is gonna leave her for a man or or something or other. We get Sarah, who has not had a husband in a long time, and she is not interested in pursuing romance or relationship at all, and both of her sisters would like to see her build a relationship with someone. She's not interested in that, so their negotiation – sort of over that part of her life occupies much of their weekend. And then you get Gorgeous, who's got this really weird lifestyle going on where she leads tours for this group of Jewish women around the world but never really feels like she's one of them. While at home she's got, you know, the kids and the husband who's a lawyer and all of this stuff. So these sisters are involved in, you know, if you're a sibling, you you may, you may find some familiarity in that. Right. When you're around your siblings, you fall into these patterns of trying to work on the parts of your sibling's life that you'd like to see improve.
0: And it's interesting that in in the midst of all that, in the midst of all of them, kind of addressing the the uh, the most apparent issue in each of them that they're trying to poke at, um, it becomes clear that each of them is kind of experiencing some form of tragedy that's under the surface as well, and the the. the most of the time they're debating about really obvious things like things that are on the uh, that are clear to everyone <laughs> um and and they're critiquing each other based on that but we find out through the play that each of these play characters are going through their own small not small the, their own quite uh distinct uh trials in this time we learn that there is uh some sort of what what's your sense of the the illness that uh, Sarah has uh, outside of the brackets of this play? There, it's just spoken of, um, but it's some sort of thing that she needed a surgery for or something.
1: Yeah, so she had to get a hysterectomy, and we know that that happened previous earlier this year, before the action of the play, and that it happened in such a way that Sarah was not able to attend the funeral of their mother. And that's such a... It's its a part of the play that I'm honestly not 100% sure what to do with. I'm not sure how that piece of the puzzle fits into the rest of the picture that is being painted by Wendy Wasserstein. Because it doesn't come up a lot. And Sarah says that she's recovered 100%. And so... I'm not. I'm not quite sure if I were playing Sarah, how as an actor I would build that feature of my history into what's occurring in the present moment of the play. Much of the play, when the sisters are together, deals with all of them sort of reflecting on their mother and the the upbringing that they had in New York City with this Jewish mother and and their their family and things like that. But so missing their mother's funeral, that that impacts Sarah somehow. And we don't think the sisters really have seen each other since then. So that maybe provides some insight into the kind of relationship that these sisters can have. But I don't I'm not sure what to make of it in terms of how it impacts the character journey of Sarah.
0: hmm. Yeah, I would be I would be interested to kind of to work with uh, figuring out what that would be if I were to put on this production, because certainly that's that carries weight into the situation you came out come out of a a fairly life changing surgery um and and there's still after effects and if this is the first time you're seeing your family that's drumming up quite a bit of things um uh, around that as well uh, all the other characters bring in or actually I think I'm going to I'm going to change that comment gorgeous is bringing in something that happens off stage as well which is her family is going through uh, a recession in the United States. Her her husband has been let go of his job as a lawyer. Uh, he was a partner in a firm and the firm dissolved. He's writing mystery novels in the basement, going out all night to bars, not drinking, apparently, just drinking Diet Coke and um, and uh, coming home and trying to write mystery novels to yeah, have so, some sort of side So gig. that's a
1: revelation from late in the play. Gorgeous doesn't reveal that to her sisters that that's going on. In fact, she actively lies and pretends through most of the play that she's got this perfect life back home, the successful Harvard lawyer husband, the brood of wonderful children, the radio talk show. And then in the moment where I was quoting from earlier where Gorgeous is upset about the way that her sisters have been judging her all weekend that same scene, she reveals that actually her husband is out of work hasn't worked in years, isn't even looking for work anymore. And then you sort of look back on what Gorgeous has been going through over the course of the play, and that piece clicks into place. Well, oh, she's sort of worried about money. Her husband's out of work. She's uh, got a radio talk show she really needs to be successful in order for them to continue to have an income. Her husband isn't with her this weekend, not because he had a heavy caseload and wanted to see her daughter, their daughter play lacrosse, but because because he's de- dealing with severe psychological trauma and is going through this mystery novel thing. I mean, it, uh, that piece really clicks in, and I see a lot more of gorgeous story in a cl- much sharper clarity when I learn that piece of
0: information later on. And then there's Fenny, whose tragedy. I think uh, the reason I changed my statement earlier. Her, her, her. her uh, moment of of hardship happens within the scope of the play. Um within the within the bounds of the the actual play script itself. Um she she is kinda going through this career moment where she's realizing she's kind of doing fluff pieces. Um and and she's and she's trying to process how to do work that she finds important again. And into that moment she's also in this uh in this relationship with Jeffrey that is uh that comes apart during the play um, that, that's kind of slowly dissolves as a result of, (laughs) well, well, what is the inciting incident? Maybe a brunch is the inciting incident of their, (laughs) their relationship coming apart. Yeah. yeah. I
1: I actually would, I would take it back earlier than that. The, the, let's see, this would be, um, I guess it might be Friday night or early Saturday morning. Jeffrey, basically asks Fenny to stop traveling and stay in London with him and to maybe further develop a relationship that more closely resembles sort of a standard heterosexual heterosexual relationship in the West, living together, maybe having children and getting married, etc., etc. And... Then Jeffrey goes off to this brunch and he comes back and decides that he actually he misses men and he doesn't want to have this relationship. And so you could say, well, is the brunch the inciting incident? I think it might be that Fenny actually says that she's willing to do it. She is willing to stay and develop this relationship with Jeffrey that might cause what happens later on. And you start to wonder, well, was Jeffrey very serious about that when he asked her to stay did he think he was serious and then when she said she would realize that he wasn't
0: right no that's that's interesting if you think about that as the the, the like the commitment then is 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 one of the the inciting. Or the threat of commitment is one of the the inciting incidents incidents of that one falling apart and and really then it ties to the broader theme of the play, which is that that groundedness, trying to feel like you are um, centered on something uh, that you have home, that you have family, that you are not transient, that there is that there is some weight to your existence and and in and in that way then then the the watching Fenny and Jeffrey's relationship kind of. Dissolve shows off the the need for that and the the uh, different characters' relationship with that need as well and where they place the value on groundedness and on uh, on on family.
1: Yeah, I, I think that that's a really interesting way to look at the play is this negotiation between transience and groundedness because you're right, all three of these sisters Rosenzweig and, and then many of the other characters besides are in this negotiation, this back and forth of trying to figure it out. You've got Fenny, who obviously, travel writer, has been asked by her long-term partner to stay and not travel so much anymore and build a home, not really sure she wants to do that. That's a more obvious look at that relationship. But you see it in the other sisters too, right? Sarah, who's a long-term Londoner, is accused, asked by most of the characters in the play, basically, when are you going back to America. When are you going to give all this up and come home? And she tries to insist over and over, this is it. I'm settled. Not only in my physical location in London, but in the fact that I'm not going to be married again. In the fact that I raised a daughter and I'm just going to get a flat and live, you know, live my life here. This is who I am. I am settled. I am grounded as the other characters continually think that she's more transient than she claims to be. You get Gorgeous, who ostensibly is very grounded. The husband, the home in New England, the radio talk show. And as we've already discussed, we learn that all of that is falling apart and that transience is more a part of her life than she pretends and then, of course, there's so many other characters, right? There's right. Tess, the daughter, who is potentially going to be leaving to join the Lithuanian Revolution. Is she going to go? Is she going to stay? Is she going to go to college in America? Is she going to stay in London and go to college? You've got a character like Jeffrey, whose sort of identity and who he is, is in this constant state of flux. So that that lo- that look shift back and forth, where do you fall on that scale? How What do you identify as being grounded? When are you grounded? When are you settled, is a word that they use in the play.
0: Yeah. And just to give you another another quote, Jacob read a great one that kind of summed that up. I think it was Mervyn saying that, but also Tess is dealing with that too. Tess has a, has a line at the end of the play, towards the end of the play, she's decided not to go to Lithuania <laughs> um, to join the resistance. And she says, um, I don't know what mine is. I've never really been Jewish. I'm not actually American anymore, and I'm not English or European. Then who am I? And and in that sense, that that who am I <laughs> is is a core question of all of these folks. Um I think some of the identity is found again in family. Uh there's there's a real there's a really great scene where the three sisters uh unite again. Um after after they've all kind of revealed that everything is falling apart for them, uh slash see- have seen uh Jeffrey and uh Fenny's. Breakup is a pretty public one. It's it's right in the home, and and everyone comes home at about the same time. Yeah, so, so just
1: to set up all the sisters, Fenny and Jeffrey have broken up. Jeffrey says he misses men. He's going to go back to that particular part of his life, leaving Fenny. He wants them to be friends, though. <laughs> yeah, right. 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 <laughs> and uh, <laughs> G- Gorgeous has revealed that her husband hasn't worked in years, that he's writing mystery novels badly in the basement, that she really needs her show to be successful, to have an income, and that's more than just her her sort of pet funsy project as she's painted it. Uh, And then Sarah has had this one night stand with Merv. Merv has indicated he wants a more full, longer lasting relationship, wants to get to know her. She has driven him away. Uh, by just all the means at her disposal. It's a fairly extended scene of the morning after. When yeah. she finally gets him out the door. Um, which is maybe not what she actually wants. Maybe is what she wants. She's not sure. But she's driven him away. And thus all the sisters Rosenzweig come together in that moment with all of them carrying all this baggage.
0: Yeah. And... And what what happens is this kind of return to childhood for them in a way a return to as as all the um, the the false selves or the the uh, mirages that they put in front of themselves to exist in the world and exist with each other in a very distanced relationship all over the world trying to have a a continuous relationship as all those facades fall down they kind of revert to childhood rhythms again. Um, Sarah kind of becomes the older sister that eggs on or or slash like comforts the the two. And then gorgeous and. Fenny end up in like this this like tickle fight, and they're fighting over a shoe. There, there's, there's this whole story about Gorgeous buying a really nice pair of shoes as like a treat to herself for having organized this trip well and Which survived her family. Which has got really family. high stakes, because yeah.
1: all through the play, she's been talking about the fact that she has to wear imitation shoes because you can't afford the real thing. So she tells the story about buying, finally, the real thing. Expensive.
0: And they get just ripped apart on an escalator, <laughs> like as soon as she buys them, they get destroyed. So she's coming home. She's processing that she has one good shoe left, and so there's this like really, really kind of childish, but also f- like clearly everyone's having fun fight over this remaining shoe, and and uh, and and it's really this moment of reforging that connection. I think fuels some of the final scene of the play, which centers a little bit more. On, on Tess and and her choice. It's a big choice at the end of the play because she's been really building towards this I'm leaving tomorrow for Lithuania, and oddly no one is standing in her way to do that, which an interesting yeah, family nobody's dynamic there. Yeah,
1: excited about it, especially Sarah, who is actively trying to prevent it, but only really by means of persuasion. She's right. not, like, putting her foot down or refusing to buy the plane ticket or... Uh, you know, any of that, uh, she's just is hoping to talk her daughter out of it.
0: Right. Right. But she seems to be unfazed by that until the end of the play when we, she suddenly says she's not going, she says goodbye to Tom. Tom is apparently going to Lithuania still. Tom is her boyfriend, if we haven't said that clearly enough before. And, um, and, uh, and then there's this, this conversation where she says, who, who am I? Um, I think part of that, at least we as the audience, but I think Shirley Tess as well, is set up for that revelation by seeing her mother and her aunts come together again in the scene prior. And and that that reforging of centeredness around family and, and kind of wanting that as well.
1: Yeah, and the scene where the sisters come together is a scene of sharing their heartbreak and their pain between them. You know, it, it, it begins with Fenny's breakup with Jeffrey, and Sarah comes in and discovers it, and then Gorgeous comes in and is angry at the two of them for the way that they've sort of been judging her previous in the play. She's accused them of being jealous of the fact that she's got a successful career and a husband and children, etc. And so she comes in after this shoe has been ripped apart, which is a big... I know it sounds sort of superfluous, but it's a big deal to the character, and she's angry at them, and then it... Fanny reveals to her that Jeffrey's just left her. And there's a switch. And they sort of go from this standoff of being angry at each other, partially because of the pain and the way that they've treated each other, to sharing that pain between them in a really familial, intimate, sort of beautiful scene. And in those ways that they return to the childhood rhythms that you're talking about, you see the deep love and affection that still exists between the sisters, even as there's also continuing... Pain and tension.
0: Yeah, I mean that it's it's not like everyone's moving back in together at the end of the play, or that Sarah's coming home to America to be the centering family unit over there. Um, they they are still all going away, going home. The end of the play has. Uh, both Fanny and Gorgeous leaving, uh, catching their planes to go somewhere else and and pursue things. So there's there is this touchstone of family, and it and I think it does have a lasting effect for the rest of the play. But it's not like a a neat bow tying of of and now we're all gonna be hunky dory. It's great. Um, so there is there is still that 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 tension there, but it's been partially at least um, uh, a, a balm has been placed upon that tension for now. <laughs>
1: So one of the things that I love about Wendy Wasserstein is that she, as a playwright, writes into her plays these exchanges that I think help the audience, the reader, the critic to move past so surface-level analysis by by basically having the characters discuss and discount the surface-level analysis. So I'll give you an example. The first time that we meet Gorgeous, we've already learned about Fenny and Sarah, Gorgeous comes in and says, I've got a radio talk show and a husband and a, you know children. I've, I've got it all. And Merv says uh, basically to her out loud in the scene, oh, you're the sister that did everything right. You got the career and the husband and the kids. And And that, of course, is the surface level analysis, right? It's like, oh, well, we've got this one sister who's managing to juggle everything and these other sisters who's got all these problems. And Wendy writes in the response to that, which is Gorgeous says, don't make me a cliché. I'm much right. more than that. I love that Wendy Wasserstein writes those moments in. Another moment, Gorgeous is talking to Sarah about the fact that Sarah, as a four-year-old woman, isn't married, isn't even really pursuing anything. And Gorgeous says, you need a man to make you soft. Or actually, she says, the rabbi that I work with has asked said that you need a man to make you soft. And Sarah, in this lovely little metaphor, ends with basically her saying, I- I'm going to throw up if you say that again. Right. Right. Just moving past that kind of just not not any sense of subtlety or or interest, or complex thought—those things that could get you hung up on, right? Because this, you could, you could say about this play: well, these three sisters are in very different places in their life, and they—one of them's got it all, and one of them's got, you know, the really high-powered <laughs> career and all this stuff. And when you yeah. says, no, the pl- thats just the surface-level stuff, man. Don't, don't, don't get hung up on the cliche. It's not. Move into the real, rich character-level change that happens.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I in in some ways the the characters have these these uh, wide ranging service level conversations that you just consistently get pushed deeper throughout the play. And 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 some of it is through the characters um, uh, stating so themselves, like demanding that the other one take them seriously. Um, and and some of it is just through like life events happening through the play. I was I was trying to think. In some ways, this is kind of. A little bit like a, an American writing a comedy of errors, and then just taking away all the things about the comedy of errors, <laughs> like just saying like it's it's a it's kind of an interesting uh, American trying to exist in English society. There's some class classism in in the in the play that they're trying to deal with and they're trying to speak all on an intelligent level with each other. But then then it's like, okay, now that we've set the stage for that, I'm going to take that away and we're going to dig deep into like character study and what 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 each of these characters want beyond what they're presenting in their manners to each other.
1: Right, yeah, it's a very funny play. It's a play full of jokes. It's a play of j- uh, jokes on Jewishness, uh, and it's a play full of jokes on gender, and it's a play full of jokes on class, and then in and amidst all of the great comic writing, there are these deep wells of characters, as I've already talked about. You know, Wendy Wasserstein has written, and she writes in all of her plays. It's one of the things that she's brilliant at. These just incredibly complex characters. There is nothing cliche about these folks. And and that's what I love about that quote where Gorgeous says, don't make me into a cliche that I just mentioned. Wendy, I, th- I got to imagine that the playwright was like, I don't want anybody to think that this is a cliche. So I'm just going to write it into the play. It's not. Get over that that assumption. There's more going on here. And all of these characters are just have this deep wealth and, and one, just one example of the specific, wonderful, rich history and life that she's imagined for her characters. There's a great moment after Fenny and Jeffrey have broken up. Fenny tells this little story about how, when she was a kid, her she was watching us I think it was a singer sing about sing a sad song and she asked her mother uh, what what does heartbreak feel like and her mother thought that she was talking about heartburn and so she she told her that when when you have a heartburn you take heartburn medicine and so all these years later when Fenny feels finally has her heart broken by Jeffrey she says that she needs heartburn medicine as this little joke and it, it's you know that's not important to the plot at all. But what a lovely, rich history! A specific, you know, this moment. And actually, Sarah says, "How do you even remember that?" You know, there's this. Th- these characters have a life, a richness that is so wonderful to experience.
0: And scenes, scenes like that allow it to be. Allow, this this play is is a comedy. It's also a romance. There's there's a lot to do with relationships. But it manages, just as you're saying, to be those things without without it becoming cliche without it becoming locked into a pattern i don't feel a pattern at all in this play every page was like oh wow i have i have no expectation <laughs> of what what's coming next. like there's just so many pieces moving, so many uh people with complicated intricate character design all trying to negotiate how they're living together in in for the space of this weekend um and and beyond for some of them. So it it absolutely it, it leans into all the 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 like the nice, kind of candy of theater. You have comedy, you have romance, you have conflict, but then also sinks deeper into something a lot more rich for for you to kind of dig your teeth into.
1: So in Wendy's play, American Daughter, we have a pretty crucial moment for the characters in the play, this interview that goes badly that is going to affect the course of the career for her main character and all the other characters uh, by relationship. In the Heidi Chronicles, we watch a character over really a whole life, or at least a long part of a life, and the changes that occur to that character across theirs. In this play, we, we see one weekend, and there's nothing as obvious as an interview that goes so horribly wrong that it's going to affect the long-term career so with these full characters that have a whole life i mean you could write a play about these characters when they're young when they're much older when they're having their kid you know there's so much life for these characters beyond just what happens in this weekend so why is this play about this
0: weekend hmm I think some of it is the practicality of this the first time that they have been together Um, and that that there's been a missing out that has happened uh, because Sarah could not make it to their mother's funeral. Um, While that is not specifically uh, uh, that's not a specific area of conflict within the play. I think that there is something to be said for there's there's been little to no communication between them. Uh, at least not in person surely not in person since since before sarah was sick so um so there's the, the, the practicality of that. I think also just birthdays make great fodder for drama. Um, <laughs> the, 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 there's complications, there's expectations, there's, uh, stresses and anxieties about getting older. Um, all, all of that mixed in with the revolution is happening in a country over there. So I think the, the specificity of time has to do with this melting pot, um, a pressure cooker under which these sorts of revelations can happen.
1: Yeah, there's so much that happens to the characters in these three days. I mean, Wasserstein is really packed in the action of the play. So much occurs in each life. And actually, I think it's Jeffrey comments on that. Like, someday he's gonna make a play, something like this, that he's gonna make a play about the three days that changed the lives of the Sisters Rosenzweig. Because that's true, right? I mean, for Gorgeous, she's over here in London and she finally has this moment that if you know she's built up the fact that she oh that she only owns knockoff stuff and she finally breaks that seal and buys the stuff and then it's torn apart and then all these ladies that she leads around the world buy her a real chanel suit and she chooses to return it to the store so there's a you know crucial things occur in her life obviously in fenny's life this thing that she's been living with for a while, what is going to happen with me and Jeffrey comes to some sort of a conclusion, at least a temporary one. For Sarah, she meets Merv and that is, she's forced to make a decision about that thing that she's been holding off on deciding for so long. For Tess, is she going to Lithuania? Is she not? There's a decision that has to happen. So these, these things that we see the characters come into the action of the play with are brought to a head within the course of this weekend. And Wasserstein has brilliantly written a series of events that cause these things to come to a head one right after another so that these sisters are somehow, by the magic of playwriting, together in London when all of this stuff happens
0: to them and just to lean into the the lack of cliché again somehow this does not feel fortuitous it all feels necessary and the consequences of actions taken within the scope of the play <laughs> that you can easily see how it all comes about um the 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 the, the the beats of the play draw out this knot of conflict that the, all these folks have come from all over the world, essentially, to this one spot, and yet it still seems necessary and likely that it occurs.
1: Because part of what makes these things occur is- is the fact that they are together in London when they happen. You would think, I think I can easily imagine a situation where one of the sisters tries to do the thing that they do in this play without everything, all the other sisters around them, and it goes very differently. Like, if Sarah had just met Merv at a different point, you know, two weekends later or two weekends before, I don't think the action that occurs between her and Merv would have taken place in this same way. I don't think with without the sisters there in person pressuring Fenny to either make something with this thing with Jeffrey or move on, that this thing with Jeffrey would have gone the way that it did. I don't think without the constant battles that Gorgeous has with her sisters, the fact that she actually bought the brand name shoes and had them ruined would have meant as much to her.
0: Yeah, they, they certainly would not. All, all of those Again, the the pressure cooker analogy of like, (laughs) certainly Sarah would have just thrown Mervyn out (laughs) if he hadn't forced himself into a birthday party, um, and, and then she was pressured by her sisters. Certainly, I, I absolutely agree that Gorgeous would not have spent the, I think it was $400 on, on this pair of shoes if she had not been consistently kind of attacked by her sisters, and then had this victory moment with the group that she leads. So all of these events, these confluence of things, uh, push forward the characters into this, this, Moment of revelation for them and into this regrounding moment as the sisters Rosenzweig.
1: So, who do you think this play belongs to, Jackson? Is it. The, you know, we have all these sisters that are together. We've got Tess that's there. And then we have this whole group of surrounding characters. It's Sarah's house. It's Sarah's birthday weekend. Sarah's daughter is the only one of the children that appears in the play. Sarah's got much of the early scenes. It, the, her daughter's writing a thing on her life. Is the play Sarah's in any kind of an ownership way?
0: Certainly, many of the elements of the place would seem to suggest so. I think it's. I don't think this play. Um, happens without Sarah, How, however the play doesn't happen without the three sisters either. I think there's some degree to which this is in fact what the title suggests, a play that belongs to these three sisters. Um, certainly, uh, certainly Fenny's story carries a lot of weight in this. We see the, we see the falling apart of life, probably the clearest in, in Fenny on stage. We see the conflict. We see, see all the things that are happening to her within the scope of the play. We have to infer a little bit about both Sarah and Gorgeous's lives or not infer, but believe testaments by them about their life that happen off stage. um, so I think there is weight to be shared throughout the play uh, for these three sisters. That being said, it's hard to deny the, the 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 first the first part of the play and the end part of the play are centered around Sarah and Sarah's family via Tess. So I think I think that's a, a fair assessment to say that at least most of this play is Sarah's to hold.
1: Yeah, and and I think to some degree we view the play through the lens of Sarah because we live in her house and most of the relationships are in some way Hers or hers by proxy, we we get to, we get that particular lens, and yet the play is also you know it, this is not really how plays are written, but I'll use it as an analogy. It's third person omniscient because we don't have any limited perspective. We see a scene on stage without Sarah. In fact, we see many scenes on stage without Sarah. We see many on scenes on stage without any of these characters. It's really a, it's really the house that we get the lens of view through, and we see all the things that happen within it and you know, who we follow. I think we follow Sarah beginning to end. That seems pretty clear, but the things that occur in Sarah's house. And as we've already talked about due to Sarah and the other sisters being together to build that pressure of the pressure cooker are also fascinatingly interesting. Gorgeous. story for me is, is just so interesting. It's so clever and subtle in so many ways. She seems like such a different person than I think you discover that she is over the course of the play. I, I just love that part of the story.
0: Yeah, in terms of reversal, I think uh, Gorgeous has one of the most poignant reversals or, or certainly reversals of expectation in the play. And and it's it's set up by, just keep bringing it up. Uh, it's set up by her herself saying, don't treat me like a cliche. Um, and, and by the end, we, we learn the ramifications of that and that there is there is plenty more than what is cliche about her.
1: And I think that that is what we learn about all the other sisters, too, you know, is that what what could be at its you know, it's sort of like Wendy Wasserstein took three cliches and then built deep wells of character and conflict to occur there, right? The, the juggling housewife with the successful career and the children. The woman who's growing old because she travels the world and has not really settled on any kind of a relationship. The divorcee who's a single mom raising her daughter who doesn't need no man, right? Those are all things that could be cliche, and yet Wendy has said, no, let's look at the deep well of personhood that exists even in them. And then, of course this other point that she is making so well and has made over the course of her career about the deep well of personhood of women over 40 i mean that's that's it's an incredible marker an incredible career and she has affected the long course of theater by writing such incredible characters
0: i think that's a good note to end this conversation on we are about out of time uh this 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 play is would just be i think you're right in saying that that this play is not done as much an, uh, anymore it's not the most well known of Wendy Wasserstein's plays however it would just be so much fun to see like this is just a good night at theater with lots of great character study and 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 it's it's a romance it's a comedy it's a good time <laughs> so so I, yeah, i'm excited I mean,
1: If this helps you in any way, if you haven't read or seen the play, in her preface, Wasserstein says that the play owes a lot to Chekhov's three sisters – to You Can't Take It With You, and to the work of Noel Coward. So, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's a weird triangle of theater. I said triangle as if I was emphasizing (laughs) the angle part, but it's actually a triangle. It's a weird triangle of theater to exist in the middle of, but I I think this play really holds up. Um, Some of Wendy Wasserstein's work is a little specific to have... Wide reaching popularity nowadays. Um, I don't think this is one of those plays. This has a lot of really relevant, powerful family conversation.
0: Yeah, specific specifically specific in a temporal way. Like, there are specific events happening in, like, 90s and stuff like that, and really the only thing to overcome in this play is the, the revolution happening in Lithuania in terms of, of timeline. There's, yeah, and there's
1: and there's references that even I didn't really get. I had to look up some of them, and I was around in the 90s, but... Yeah, you move past all of that so easily and so freely because the characters and the conversation are so strong. Now, is this play a play about a bunch of rich people and their <laughs> problems? Yes. In some yeah, ways, that kinda. is true of this play. <laughs> but it's also got some really powerful things to say about the nature of family, of possibility, of identity, of, of building who you are even into the changing parts of your life.
0: Yeah, so so if you are uh, ever reading this play or or in this play anywhere or get the chance to see it, we'd love to keep talking with you about it. There's there's there, as we've talked about through all the wells of character, there's a multitude of perspectives uh, to both within this play and for you to receive in your own multitude of perspectives out there. So if you're looking for someone to talk over this play with, we'd love to be those people for you. Hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at the username at script Podcast on all those platforms. We'll. Have a gmail podcast at gmail.com find us on any of those sites we'd love to keep talking about the Sisters Rosen Swag with you
1: yeah if you'd like to recommend this podcast that's a great way that you can help us out you can send anybody you're recommending to Podbean, where we're hosted to google play apple Podcasts, spotify if you want to connect with us on facebook we do just post a link to the new episode every monday on facebook when it's released one more reminder that we only have one episode left in the season we said two at the beginning because at the beginning of this episode there were two <laughs> but now there's only one we've reached the end of one of the two so that's how w- countdowns work <laughs> <laughs> i was going for clarity thanks <laughs> One more episode, then we'll take a short break. We'll be back with you season five in July.
0: Yes. so until then, I am Jackson Nikolai. I am Jacob
1: Mann Christensen. Thanks for joining us for No Script the Podcast.
0: We'll see ya.